In the Icelandic capital city of Reykjavik during the 1970s, the population was only about 220,000 people. For reference, that is less than the population of Reno, Nevada in 2010. So with a small population, the number of violent crimes is one of the lowest in the world. This is why when two people went missing in a year in 1974, the whole country was pressuring the police to solve the cases. Two missing people, six confessions, and zero bodies. Was there even a crime committed? Let's find out. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. All right, so right off the bat here, I want to apologize for butchering most of these Icelandic pronunciations, okay? I know they're not perfect, but I'm doing my very best. I think Reykjavik uh, is, is about as close as I'm going to get to the main capital of the city pronunciation, and with these names, I'm going to do my best, guys. Um, I watched a lot of English-speaking people, a lot of people from America uh, cover this case, and most of the pronunciations, I, I, I'm guessing, were pretty close. So I'm, I'm going to do the best I can. Either way, this is a classic case. There's tons of information out there on this case. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So we're going all the way back to 1974. January 26th of 1974, to be exact. The fields of Reykjavik were covered in snow within a matter of hours. Nothing unusual for the Icelandic capital city. That night, amidst the howling snowfall, 18-year-old Gudmundur Einarsson vanished, never to be seen again. Then 10 months later, 32-year-old Gjörfinnur Enerson, same last name, strange, a husband and father of two, also vanished. Though the two shared last names, they were of no relation. But was this a Terminator Sarah Connor moment? Where one of the victims was of mistaken identity? Who knows? Maybe more on that later. Gudmunder was last seen walking along a highway. He was likely very drunk as he was staggering and was known to be out at a bar that night with friends. He was accompanied by another man, who no one recognized. They were seen by several passing cars, and it was the last anyone would see of him. He worked as a construction worker, and was out that night at a party with friends. These friends often got together at one of their houses, and then ended the night at one of the city's many clubs. He had no altercations, no odd encounters, no known enemies. He seemed to have just vanished. An extensive search was done in the areas he was last seen and around his residence, but there were no clues as to where he had gone. Now, because Iceland is a vast and scarcely occupied land, which has weather that changes from sunshine to blizzard with the flip of a coin, many people go missing each year without being found. They are lost to the landscape or die due to exposure. Both tourists and residents go out hiking in remote places and get lost when the sheet of snow appears, or drop into a crack in the earth where they remain hidden forever. Because of this, if Gudmunder had never been seen again, most would have assumed it was because the earth swallowed him up, and they knew he would never be found. But only ten months later, Giefener went missing, and because the men shared a last name, suspicion started to grow. Giefener was last seen by his young son, who had answered the phone and informed his dad that an unknown man was on the other end, asking for his dad. Giefener said simply, I have already come. He paused, and then said, Okay, I'm coming. Then he hung up the phone, grabbed his keys, and drove to a nearby cafe, which he had been at earlier that day, which explains why he said, I have already come. Maybe he was talking about to the cafe. Upon his first visit, Giefener sat in a booth and appeared to be waiting for someone. 
After some time passed, he left. As soon as he had arrived home, the phone rang again, and he was instructed to return. Giefner was never seen by the cafe employees after leaving the first time. His car was found just outside the cafe with the keys still in the ignition. Witnesses in the cafe recalled a man who had come in and used the phone around the time Giefner received a call. A clay sculpture of the man was made and put out to the public, but it looked so vague that it seemed everyone knew who this was. Now, let's get into some suspects. The first member of our large cast of suspects was a young woman, 20 years old, named Erla Bolater. 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 I nailed it. Uh, and Erla and her boyfriend, Xavier Sasilski, a young Polish man, had just moved back to Iceland from Denmark after attempting to make off with money they embezzled from Erla's job. The couple had also just had a baby girl, 11 weeks earlier in September of 75. Sevier was known to the police in Reykjavik. He had been picked up before for importing cannabis and other petty crimes, but the couple was both picked up in December. The pair were immediately placed in solitary the next day. They questioned the couple on suspicion of embezzlement, after which Erla was placed back in solitary for six days. She was questioned again about the situation and claimed that Sevier had confessed uh, that Erla was behind the whole thing. Erla took the bait and confessed to the crime. She also confessed to all other crimes she knew of, hoping to have all of this behind her. She had done the crime and didn't try to resist or lie. She confessed to it and more. She had hoped this was the first step in becoming the mother she wanted to be for her little girl. But just as Erla was done with all the questions and was being sent back to her cell, the detective, in a last-ditch effort, showed her a picture of Gudmunder and asked if she or Severe knew him. Erla knew him through some friends, but had only met him once. With that, the police decided to question her again. She went for hours in an interrogation room. At some point, Erla starts to talk about a nightmare she had around the weekend Gudmunder went missing. She said she remembered it because of the terrible storm that night. I don't know how she remembered this, even if it was a scary storm. We're talking about a dream she had almost two years ago. She said she was in bed when she heard scary people outside her window whispering, and then she woke up. The detectives tell her that is actually a memory of the night, and that something she witnessed was so horrible, she must have forgotten it. She is sent back to solitary to, quote, remember the details. She remained there for the night and began to question whether what she saw was a dream or reality. After this, she confesses to witnessing Severe and his friends, Christian Viorison, carry a body out of the house, and she also mentions that her bed sheets had gone missing. The apartment the couple shared is searched, but no evidence is found to support any of her story. However, when they questioned Severe, his, he confessed to killing Gudmunder with Christian and another man named Trigvi Leifson. I know these names. I know. Just bear with me. So Christian and Trigvi are picked up and also thrown in solitary. That's just a normal thing in Iceland, I, I guess. They're so... Uh, I don't want, they're, they're not used to dealing with these types of crimes. They're really not. So they're like, I don't know, throw them in solitary until they go crazy and then they'll say what we want. I don't know what their, what their tactic is here. But they claim that during an altercation, uh, Christian and Trigvi, okay, they're thrown in solitary. And then they claim that during an altercation, they killed Gumander and disposed of his body. They had called their friend Albert Skaftson and asked him to bring his father's car so they could transport the body. So now they're implementing another one of their friends in this case. This is ridiculous. So Albert joins his buddies, guess where? In solitary 
You got it. They are each kept in their windowless cells all day. They are questioned for hours on end, without rest or reprieve. Each time they were questioned and asked about that night, the details kept changing. If the detectives didn't have the answers they were looking for, the men were placed right back into their cells. Investigators also used tactics such as dunking the men's heads in water, you know, waterboarding, until they confessed. Each man claimed the other was the one who dealt the fatal blow. This whole time, Erla is afraid that she'd been living with these monsters around her this whole time. Was the father of her child really a brutal murderer? She's really starting to lose touch here. Then Giefner's name is brought up with Erla. She is asked if it's possible that Severe knew Giefner. She responds simply with, mm, Now, Giefner, if you don't remember, Giefner is the other gentleman who went missing with the same last name. So now they're just throwing him in here as well. She responds simply with, Maybe. And hey, that was enough for the Icelandic police. They're like, yup, we're going to go ahead and follow this lead. And by that, we mean throw your ass in solitaire until you're ready to tell us the rest. Police set in on the men they now have in custody about the second missing man. And miraculously, the men confessed to the second murder also. Can you believe it? So at this point, there is no evidence against him, but they've all confessed to two counts of murder. In the case of Giefner, Erla was feeling so guilty about ratting on Severe that she even confessed to killing Giefner at one point herself. The story is that Giefner was hired to pick up alcohol illegally off the coast and transport it, but there was again some kind of altercation, and Giefner ended up dead as a result. Again, the group is questioned and kept in solitary, but again, none of their stories added up with the others. A foreigner investigator from Germany was brought in, and it resulted in media hysteria, as you could imagine. You have six people confessing to two murders, right? People are going to eat that shit up. What was happening in this innocent land of Iceland, a place that is uncontaminated by the nasty world outside? Now they had gone from a single violent crime a year to uncover a group of murderers amongst them. Police were understandably under a lot of pressure to solve the case and produce the guilty suspects, as you could imagine. At the time, the department was already under a lot of stress from a murder that had happened a year before these two disappearances. And that murder had been one of the first that had remained unsolved for this long. Now, two more were added to the count. You can see the police start to panic, and applying all the pressure on Severe and his group of companions. No matter how much the police questioned the gang, the story in the end just didn't line up. No two stories were the same, and searches in areas where the group said they left the bodies turned up absolutely nothing. In November of 1976, a year after this disaster started, another man was arrested. Gujan, oh my gosh, he's got the hardest fucking last name in the world. I'm not even going to try. It's, it's like Scarp Fiasson, I, I don't know. He is accused of being the driver during the murder of Giefener, okay? A month after being picked up, Gujan surprisingly confessed to being there when the murder occurred, making him an accomplice. But check this out. What, did I, what was the first line? A month after being picked up. So what do you think he did for that month while he's in custody? He sat alone with his own goddamn thoughts in solitary, I guarantee it. All five men are found guilty of murder in a district court, and the case goes to the Supreme Court in 1980. The court rules that there's not enough for the retrial and sentences the group to sentences ranging from a year to 17 years, with Severe receiving the longest punishment. All six men and Erla serve their time, with Severe being the last to be released. 
Upon his release, Severe meets and marries a girl and moves to America, hoping for a fresh start. But Severe hated living with this weight chained to him. He moved back to Iceland and started the process of getting his name cleared. With the case being reinvestigated, new eyes noticed that there was not only a lack of evidence in this case, but the statements, which the whole case is based on, were also unreliable, as they were acquired by unlawful means. The investigation revealed the way the group was treated while in custody, but the acquittal was shot down by the courts, and twice more after that. Severe fought for his innocence up until his death in 2011 with no success, but after his death, new interest was served up and new eyes were brought in. Trigvi's widow spoke about the case, hoping to clear her husband's name. Trigvi's daughter had kept her dad's journals he had kept while in prison. They revealed much about how the men were treated while they were detained. Trigvi Leifsson was kept in solitary for 665 days. Now, Severe was in solitary the longest, as you can imagine, for a total of 741 days. Guys, the minimum time spent by any of these people was 88 days, nearly three months. But severe, guys, over two years in solitary. That's enough to make a man confess to anything. So a man named Gisli Gujensen was brought in to look at the case. He is a world-leading expert of false confessions. Thank God for this guy. He like literally wrote the book on it. He and others uncovered the extent of solitary that the group went through, the persuasion the group was under, and how they were told to tell the truth and they would be let go. The general belief at this time became that none of them were telling the truth. The case was eventually re-examined and many reports seemed to be missing. The police failed to report all the time the group had been questioned or kept locked up. With the help of Trigvi's prison journal, the new investigators started piecing together the truth. In February of 2018, a task force was formed and they suggested a retrial on the grounds of false confessions. Then, on September 27, 2018, the Supreme Court acquitted all five men, but did not reverse Erla's embezzlement conviction. She is still fighting to get the charges dropped. To this day, Iceland remains divided on whether the police got it right the first time or whether the whole situation was made up by one girl who was afraid to go to jail. And if you ask me, that's exactly what happened. What baffles me about this case is that there were no bodies ever found, right? Now, Iceland likes to boast that they have, you know, on average, like one murder a year, okay, due to their very small population and, you know, and very safe country, as they like to call it. But they are one of the leaders in disappearances, okay? These two gentlemen that we were talking about in this case that shared the same last name, they both just disappeared, I don't understand why there was so much stress on them um, to solve these cases of disappearance. It wasn't even an issue until she started to confess that she knew something about it. If they bring his name up, because if you remember, they throw his name out to her on a whim after she's been in solitary, right? So they throw this missing man's name out and she says, maybe, and then they run with it. Now, let's say she says, never, never heard of that man in my life. Don't know who that is. Does it stop there? And she just faces her charges for her, for her misdemeanor crimes. And the cops move on with another unsolved missing persons case. I just don't understand why these missing person cases had so much pressure. Maybe because they were just the most recent. 
But it was my understanding that people go missing all the time in Iceland. Understandably so. Harsh environment. Lots of open, untouched land. I think of Alaska. People going missing in the wilderness in Alaska. That happens a lot, I feel like. Um, There's areas that haven't been touched by humans in years out there. Same way with Iceland, I believe. Tons of places people could disappear. I do not believe that this little group of small-time criminals, as the cops deem them, uh, had anything to do with this disappearance. That's just my personal conviction. Um, I think they were all just going crazy and wanting to do whatever they could to get the hell out of solitary confinement. I mean, just think, you as a rational person, even if you are an introverted person, you still need some type of human interaction to live, to be healthy, to to be mentally healthy. You need to bounce your ideas off something. If you're alone with your own thoughts all the time, locked away, I mean, that's where that's where these people end up doing radical things. You think about people who who commit school shootings, people who commit terrorist attacks, they're locked up in their rooms, in their own minds, uh, reading things and watching things that only fit their agenda. I mean, it's almost as bad as solitary, but it's it's even enforcing those types of uh, convictions and whatnot, which is the same thing that the police do to people who are kept in solitary for long periods of time, especially two years. Severe was in there for over two years in solitary. That's unbelievable. I mean, I would admit to anything... If you kept me in solitary for probably like two months, I'd be like, let me get the fuck out of here. Let me move to a new cell. Jesus, let me get a fucking cell with a window. If I tell the truth, can I get a cell with a window? I mean, you're, you're, the way your brain rationalizes and, and the, the things, the deals that you're willing to make, the bar for that drops so low when you're lonely, you're disoriented, you're hungry, you're tired, you're not sleeping. It, we've seen this a million times with the West Memphis Three making a murderer. This is practically making making murderers Iceland <laughs> that happened in the 70s. Unreal. Absolutely unreal. I'm surprised I hadn't heard of this case. Uh, it's, a, it's basically part of folklore now in Iceland. And apparently there is a large group of people who think that these, these people did commit this crime. And maybe all of their memories are just distorted. In some way or another. You know, our, our memories are already pretty much garbage. And then you talk about something that happened two years ago. I mean, can you think of what you were doing, you know, two months ago on, on this same day? You know what I mean? If, if today is the 21st, what were you doing on the 21st of last month? <laughs> Seriously, right? Who the hell knows? What'd you have for breakfast three days ago? It's damn near impossible. We've heard these things. So, in order for these people to recall these things is unbelievable. Uh, and if it was such a major event as a murder, I do believe it would stick out in these people's minds. I don't think you would have six to seven different confessions from people. It's just unreal. The police just must have been under some just unimaginable amount of stress to solve this case. That's the only thing I can think of. For one reason or another, the public was fed up with these missing persons at this time and they needed answers. And this case has gone down into Icelandic history. So that's my thoughts, guys. So there's only one more thing to do. Let's check in with Lorne and see if he sees something different in this week's Lorne Synopsis. 
It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the Reykjavik Confessions, which takes us back to the 1970s in Iceland, which began with two men disappearing in the mid-70s, starting in January of 1974 when Goodmunder Arnerson was walking home from a pub in the middle of the night during a storm and disappeared. Ten months later, Garfner Arnerson, must be a common last name there, considering they were unrelated and had the same last name, um... He walked away from his running vehicle, never to be seen again. Um, and there was a lot of pressure on the police at this time, apparently, due to uh, a shooting that had occurred in 1968, a few years prior, which was unsolved, involving a taxi driver. And you imagine this is, you know, a small population. It's a little island, a safe place. Police really wanted to solve the cases of these two missing men. Um, the only connections they could make was that maybe these two men were involved in the embezzlement of um alcohol, which apparently is very expensive in Iceland, and bars and pubs and nightclubs and stuff prefer to um, smuggle it in. And so I guess it's a big um, industry over there, people smuggling in alcohol. There's a lot of young people involved in it, and it's potential, you know, it's possible that Goodmunder and Garfner were involved in this trade, and that's how they ended up going missing. Although it's also important to note that um, in the case of Goodmunder, also in Garfner as well, but Goodmunder walking home intoxicated during a blizzard. It's also very possible that he could have fallen into uh, one of the lava fields. There's apparently deep crevices from lava fields uh, all over, littered where he was walking during a blizzard. He could have easily fallen into one of those and apparently disappeared, um, and it would be impossible to find his body once you were in there, um, which may be where these men were dumped if they were killed, in fact. Um, nonetheless, so much pressure on the police, and you know how a lot of times this goes. This is the worst case of um, police uh, abuse involving an interrogation or an investigation. Um, this this makes the West Memphis Three look like child's play, to be honest. Like the tactics that were used in obtaining co- uh, coerced confessions in this were heinous, and I think that the um, investigators and detectives involved in this case in Iceland should have been prosecuted and put in bar- put behind bars themselves, in my opinion. Six suspects would emerge. Sivar and Erla were at the forefront of it. They were a young couple, and they had just had a baby. Uh, um, Erla was only 20 years old at the time. She had just had a 10-week-old daughter, um, and they would pick them up because Sivar was a petty criminal. He was involved in the embezzlement of alcohol, um, and he looked different, to be honest. He reminded me a bit of Damian Eccles in the West Memphis Three case. He had long, uh, dark hair, which was not the norm in Iceland. You know, it was a lot of um, fair skin and uh, blonde hair over there. And he kind of stuck out and he was a petty criminal. And the police seemed like they were just looking for someone, you know, someone that they didn't like that was a criminal. And they were trying to pin this on somebody. They would bring in Sivar and Erla. And apparently over there, I don't know if this is still the deal. I hope not. But in, in the 70s, they could just hold you uh, as long as they wanted in custody uh, with really nothing, like with, you know, embezzlement charges or whatever small petty crime, they could just hold you um, as long as they wanted to. And after six days in custody, Erla, who was not, you know, 
not a, a hardened criminal, uh, was, had never been in trouble before, cracked, uh, understandably. She just had a child. She wanted to see her baby, and she was at that point kind of willing to tell them whatever they wanted to hear. And she would uh, you know, basically give up her boyfriend, Saivar, for the embezzlement, at which point they then also pulled out a photo of Goodmunder Arnerson and asked if she knew uh, Goodmunder. And she right away said, yeah, she recognized the photo. She had apparently known him in high school or something along those lines. And once again, this is a, you know, it's a small island, small population. A lot of people know each other. So it's not shocking that she recognized the photo. And of course, this triggered the investigators. And they, from that point on, were just obsessed with getting these people, everyone connected to Saivar and Erla to confess to murders that they did not commit. And it would... It would result in hundreds of days of solitary confinement for not just Erla and Saivar, but four other people. Um, and I, I, at risk of uh, butchering their names, I'm just not going to uh, uh, mention their names. You can you can look them up. But six people would ultimately go down for these murders um, after being tortured, waterboarded, held in t- solitary confinement, as I mentioned, for hundreds of days. Um, and withheld from their families and everything else you can imagine. Also being drugged, apparently. Um, they, you, you can imagine any sane person would start to lose their sanity and um, would eventually, after hundreds of days of this, just basically tell the police whatever they wanted to hear to make it end. And they would get very conflicting confessions from you know th- these six young people um, Saivar would end up being kept in custody for a total of 1,533 days. And they would get murder convictions um, on three people. They would get another for uh, helping to hide the body, and others were implicated in these crimes as well. And these, you know, these young people would spend years in prison for this before finally being set free. And word would get out as to how poorly they, were, they had been treated. And this thing would continue on all the way through 2018, where the state prosecutor requested the Supreme Court acquit all six of these uh, innocent people of these murders. Um, And the Supreme Court in 2018, September of 2018, would acquit all five, but did not reverse Erla, her conviction. So five out of six, and Erla, who I honestly think was probably the most innocent of all of them, um, if there was maybe some um, smuggling going on of alcohol and things like that. She may have been around it. I don't know if she was directly involved, um, but more dating a guy involved in that. But as far as the murders go, there's zero evidence on any of these people, you know, aside from coerced confessions after being tortured and held in solitary confinement. Um, nothing. It's, it's, it's shocking. I think that they should have been um, rewarded compensation for all of the time they lost and all of the slandering of their names and all of that and the stress that they had to go through. And I think that the investigators involved in this that did this to them should be in, in prison, in my opinion. Um, yeah, horrible. The, the worst example of, you know, police tactics involved in, in getting a confession. Um, it, it's, it's shocking and appalling. And I hope that this is not how things work in Iceland anymore. I'm sure they don't. This was the 70s after all. A lot's changed in that amount of time in most places. But yeah, crazy case to learn about. Um, Hope you guys enjoyed my take on it. Uh, There's so much more, obviously. Uh, I had limited time to study this case, and the names are difficult. Um, 
being an American and uh, trying to read all of these Nordic names. But um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed my take and I'll see you next week. All right, y'all, there you have it. Um, Yeah, I think me and Lauren are pretty much on the same page in this episode. Uh, I think it's hard to come up with anything different. It's obvious uh, what the Icelandic police were doing. And as Lauren said, I'm sure this has no weight or or no telling in how the Icelandic police operate now. At least I hope not. Um, Now, let's keep in mind, this was the 70s, okay? And uh, if you're familiar with America, quite a goddamn crazy place in the 70s. Right? Uh, serial killer freaking wonderland uh, here in America. So we can't say much shit. Uh, there's a lot of crazy, and, and there still is a lot of th- crazy things going on and a lot of issues with our justice system. Uh, I don't think anyone is um, exempt from that. But that is the Reykjavik Confessions. Um, that case was suggested over a month ago, and me being the totally organized person I am, Cannot find who suggested it, so please uh, send me an email, send me a message on Patreon or whatever, or social media at SNU Podcast, and let me know that you suggested this podcast so I can give you, or this topic, so I can give you some credit, please. Um, Sorry about that, but excellent case, a classic case, one that needed to be in the catalog of Strange and Unexplained, uh, undoubtedly. So... Now, let's get into some business, okay? Not really down to business. It's more of the fun stuff. It's more of the reviews. The reviews, right? I got a really cool review from Canada this week that I have to read you guys. If you're unable to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you listen on, it's not a big deal. You know, I know a lot of listeners are going over to Spotify and just the streams and the sharing and um, that type of thing, subscribing, that helps the show the most, honestly. Uh, but leaving a review is really cool. It really helps other listeners figure out and get an idea what the show is about, right? Everybody, not everybody leaves reviews, but almost everybody reads them, right? So I got a new review from Canada. I I love this review so much. Um, It's from Peglia. It says, found by a senior. I asked my granddaughter to explain podcasts to me a few weeks ago, and she showed me what they are and how to find them on my iPad. Way to go, granddaughter. When I saw your picture of the dinosaur and the title Strange and Unexplained, I told her, that looks interesting. Must be about dinosaurs. <laughs> well, she said, Grandma, I don't think it is. It's about weird stuff. I don't think you'll like it. <gasps> How dare you, granddaughter? Don't judge your grandma. Well, my response was, let's try. And uh, let's try it. How do we listen to it? That's what she said. <laughs> she, played one of, she played one of your episodes, and I am hooked on it. Thoroughly enjoyed them, as I have my grand." I thoroughly enjoyed them. I have, as my granddaughter says, I am binging on them. (laughs) Lauren's synopsis is excellent. Your humor is priceless. Please keep up the outstanding work. A senior subscriber from Canada. P.S. Could you please explain about the other podcast you do? When I asked my granddaughter, she looked at me weirdly. Okay, yeah. So your granddaughter wouldn't possibly know what other podcasts I do without listening to this one. Um, But I also do a podcast called uh, True Crime Guys. True Crime Guys with Lorne from the synopsis, believe it or not. Uh, Lorne is the fact giver. He's the host. Uh, he he holds it down on True Crime Guys. And I'm more of a it, it, color commentator, if you will. I also study the case. I look into it very thoroughly, just like we do here on Strange and Unexplained. Um, but, you know, that's just how we do. It's more of a conversational, laid-back discussion about a case Um, And we don't tackle a lot of missing person or unsolved there. A lot of them are more 
more brutal cases. Most of them are closed. Uh, we got some heavy hitter killers on there. Like if you are just getting into true crime and you want to know about Gacy or Dahmer or Bundy or any of those, of course, we've covered all those guys. We have well over a hundred episodes. I think we just released episode 151 uh, last week. So yeah, there's plenty on True Crime Guys. If you search True Crime Guys, you'll see our TV logo. It's got the orange and teal, just like the Strange Unexplained logo. Um, and also, Lorne does another podcast called Full House Fantasy Football Podcast with Lorne and Tori. Tori is a friend of Lorne's who lives uh, near him in Nevada, and they both love fantasy football. I'm, I'm a newbie to fantasy football. I'm just getting into it this year, and I must admit, I love it. And I will definitely be a fantasy football player uh, from here on out. But Lauren and Tori are veterans. And if you're into fantasy sports, uh, especially football, definitely want to give that a listen. Full House Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, But yeah, so that's other shows we do. And then, I mean, that's just on the free platform, though. Uh, What was your name again? Peglia. That's just on the free platform. I'm still talking to you who left the review. Uh, on patreon.com slash podcast every Monday, I have another show that comes out called Strange Shorts that I do a f- with a friend of mine named Andy. And what we do is we tackle uh, current, funny, uh, just s- smaller crimes, not necessarily misdemeanors. I don't mean like little petty crimes. I mean, they're, they're, they're bigger issues, um, but they're just, they're more current and then there's not as much you know information about them, so we call we throw them on strange shorts. Strange shorts used to be an episode, used to be a podcast. It was like fifteen to twenty minutes, and now with me and Andy, it's it's 30, 35 minutes now sometimes because we cover multiple uh, current cases in true crime. It's a great way to stay up to date in the true crime community, and that's called strange shorts. And we release that every Monday on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/sandupodcast. And also every other Saturday, I do a show called Higher Thoughts. There's one coming out, or one that just came out this past Saturday, if you're listening to this on Monday, and there will be one this Saturday on Patreon, uh, if you're hearing this on Patreon on Thursday. So, quite a few things uh, under the True Crime Guys umbrella, and if we also have a Patreon page for True Crime Guys as well, uh, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys, and... Uh, for two bucks a month, you will get access to our Patreon-exclusive episode that we do every month, which is usually a heavy hitter, a long episode where we banter a lot, we talk a lot. And then at the $5 tier, you get access to a podcast we do called Just the Banter. And we release that every Friday, Just the Banter, um, on patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. It's me and Lorne. Uh, we're shooting the shit. We take listener questions. Uh, what, um, you know, would you rathers? Um, you know, what's your favorite, all this type of stuff. We released uh, at least 50 Just the Banters on Patreon already with probably close to 100 Patreon exclusives on there. So when you sign up on Patreon, whether it's patreon.com slash podcast or patreon.com slash guys or both, uh, you have so much content, guys. I mean, I would say months of content, and that's if you're listening to podcasts most of the day, all day, every day. There's so much content on there. Uh, but I want to thank you very much, Peglia, uh, for leaving this review. I-, I appreciate this very much. Also, another review left by Papa Wolf says, Came over from True Crime Guys. You both are really good at what you do, better than a lot of other podcasters. Well, I appreciate that very much, Papa Wolf. We're, we're also uh, worse than a lot of other podcasters. But that's how it is. <laughs> it's all about personal preference. But uh, we appreciate that very, very much. Also, I noticed, Papa Wolf, you became a patron. Uh, on the $5 tier, right on patreon.com slash SNU podcast. 
Papa Wolf joined at the $5 tier, so they will be getting access to Strange Shorts every Monday, Higher Thoughts um, every Friday, and also once a month I do a special podcast called Sandu Stories. It's where we take an unsolved or strange case and we write a story that is inspired by it. Um, think about it like an old-time radio show. It'll have, it'll have music for effect. It'll have sound effects. It'll have scenery. It'll have uh, multiple voices, uh, different parts. It, it's just it's one of my favorite things to do uh, in podcasting is just to immerse you into an audio world. And that is exactly what we do in Sandu Stories. There are a few Sandu Stories available on the free platform if you'd like to check those out and see what those are about. Uh, I think the first four are available, or maybe the first three. I'm not sure. Um, but in my opinion, they've just gotten better from there. The one that we released, uh, the last one we released in early October was about Edgar Allan Poe and the death of, Ed- the death of Edgar Allan Poe, rather, uh, which was a very strange occurrence, and it is still technically unsolved if you're unfamiliar. Uh, That was one of my favorite ones so far. Uh, But yes, lots of content on patreon.com, of course. Also, there's links to everything that I have plugged right below this description, including sources that I use to study for this episode. But you can check out True Crime Guys' link tree down below. It says everything True Crime Guys, and you'll see the link tree. That is for everything under True Crime Guys Productions, including Patreon pages, YouTube page, uh, merch, uh, our Spotify album. We have True Crime Guys Killer Mixtape on Spotify, where there's 11 songs that we've taken from intros uh, that we do for True Crime Guys. If you're unfamiliar, I do a special intro every week for True Crime Guys. Sometimes they're original songs, sometimes they're covers of songs, sometimes they're uh, just audio and music uh, together just to create like a creepy creepy atmosphere to kind of set the mood for the episode. So I've taken some of my favorites, some listener favorites, some of Lauren favorite, Lauren's favorites, and we put them on an album called Killer Mixtape, and that is volume one. I'm working on volume two as we speak. So a lot coming from True Crime Guys Productions. Guys, I appreciate you listening more than you know. I really do. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you leaving a review, telling friends, um, following and sharing on social media at SNU Podcast. It helps more than you know. All right, guys. Well, I'll see you next week uh, with another strange and unexplained case. All right? So in the meantime, be strange. Just don't be strangers. See ya. See ya.